We're on, mate. We're we on. are on. Guys, uh, welcome to Podcast 13. We've got our first guest, uh, Mr. Dan Osman. Welcome. Thir- 13's a lucky for some, by the way. Oh, I'm, I'm not superstitious at all. I'm, I'm quite, I feel quite honoured and privileged to be first guest, though. So thank you for having me. No, mate, amazing to have you. Obviously, just a little backstory for people listening. Uh, I met Dan out at IFS. Uh, Dan was one of the speakers there. And, you know, I guess like we had a pretty good connection, didn't we? We were chatting on them sunbeds that day, uh, catching up here in the backstory. And definitely from what I felt, there was there was really similar similar values. So for me, I just thought, let's, let's ask you, like, do you want to jump on, uh, you know, and share a little bit about, A, what you do? And I know Chris has prepared some questions as well. Uh, but if you want to get us get us started, then just so that listeners understand, people that have you know probably never heard of you before, um, like what is the backstory like? You know, who is Dan Osman? Why is he in the fitness space? I am the my least favorite thing to talk about, so I will do this tentatively and uncomfortably throughout. So I, I started. <laughs> is that a good enough start? Excellent. I like that. Yep. <laughs> so I started, and I'm going to try and make this brief. So I wasn't like physically engaged in health-seeking behaviour at all. I guess growing up, it, from a cultural standpoint, all my family from the Mediterranean. So we get together, we eat, we're happy, we eat, we're sad, we eat. It was never really a case of being exposed to highly palatable, highly processed, highly carb-dense, fat, fatty foods growing up, which is more of, too much of, I guess. So I was in a much larger body growing up, and I guess I took all the flack that inevitably goes with that and kids being quite mean subject to quite a lot of bullying um and I get my first experience with uh, for what what people I didn't know at the time would now I guess refer to as weight stigma I was going to the doctors at 15 with ingrained toenails and, and my experience of that was my doctor at the time sticking me on the scales telling me you are fat and you need to lose weight interestingly that interestingly I know shock shock horror I felt her bedside manner needed something to work on and that didn't, in fact, encourage me to engage in hell-seeking behaviour. It had a paradoxical effect. It made me retreat, withdraw, made my body, I guess, and health more of a concerted issue in my mind. And I was going through like a, a period of reflection, I guess, in terms of environment I was exposed to, going to college, what I wanted to do with my life, and dis- deciding to kind of disassociate and ostracise myself from certain crowds I was getting into. I decided to go down the health and fitness route and that if I was going to go to university it needed to be something that I was I was really invested in and getting in shape that's what it was at that time I didn't really see it as health beyond that I think most people can attest to in their 20s feeling fairly immortal you don't really think about your mortality you don't think about the future to a certain extent so I went to university I started as a subsidized level two I say subsidized from a cost perspective health and fitness coach, wiping sweat off machines, doing kind of body MOT, showing people around gyms, was exposed to a, a, quite a diverse group of people. When did my level three, I did a lot of voluntary work. I was kind of had the privilege of being exposed to SNC coaches and things around the university at the time that were very, very kind of knowledgeable and guided me in direction in that, you know, qualifications is one thing, but you need experience to go with it. So I did a lot of voluntary work experience with the SNC department there. I did some with the EIS. I traveled to um, Bisham Abbey to go do some there. And Saracens Rugby Club that were there at, at the club at the time. And I finished my time at uni, and I guess it was a baptism of being exposed to people that were super, super adherent from the voluntary work I do with athletes to the point you'd put a typo on their program and they would just do it. There'd be no question of it to everyday people that just 
didn't have the motivation for that kind of thing. They didn't warm to exercise for whatever reason that was. So that was good, I guess, from a developing emotional intelligence standpoint, I felt in my career, although I wasn't aware of that at the time. How did you, um, out of interest, just on that, how did you adapt then? So going from an elite level to then, like you say, working with general population where people were in a different situation, like you said, they would literally pull out, oh, there's a spelling error there, Dan, there's this, there's that, whereas like you said, the elite athletes would just go, whatever, I'm cracking on, I'm going to do it. How did you make that adaptation or did it take you quite a bit of time? It took me a while, in honesty. It wasn't something I necessarily ref- reflected on at that time and thought, oh, like, this is people with their different motivations, different adherence levels. Some have more of an intrinsic motivation behind them, some more extrinsically motivated. Anything like that, it was just, I guess, what would be termed as soft skills, but I more classes basic human skills in terms of communication. That's what it really brought out in me because I would have never classed myself at the time as... I'm always cautious to categorize myself or anyone else put them in boxes. But at that time, I was probably a little bit more of an introvert. Okay, uh, yep. Even now, I probably am. I think it's context specific in a lot of instances, but cultivating a new sense of confidence in how to communicate with people and how to adjust that based on the person you were talking to. That was something, a, a real skill I felt I refined at the time. So it was just adjusting how you communicate with people on their terms and that's kind of something I've come to understand from a coaching perspective as well is communication is always on the terms of the listener so essentially when we get frustrated as, as coaches sometimes in that people aren't being adherent it may be that actually the fault is on us we haven't yeah. adapted the coaching and communication skills necessarily to get a right message across to an individual what they respond to are they extrinsically motivated intrinsically are they data driven so they like looking at lots of numbers are they more instructional video based and all these type of things and again i wasn't necessarily aware of that at the time but these were kind of skills i was honing and refining as i was going along were you just doing that off your own back or were you learning that specifically from somewhere i was doing it off my own back i, I was when i was doing my level three stuff and my level two stuff essentially it was just to get some gym hours alongside my studies just so I could afford to keep my car there and you know funding just afford to keep myself ticking over I didn't really have any financial resources in terms of like parents or anything like that so it was student loan like most people um and then finding my own money to support myself so that that's essentially why I got into it again it wasn't like a concerted effort I'm going to really expand my skill set here but when I found out and kind of discovered that I wanted to work I guess more in elite sport that was the focus at the time is I needed to get voluntary working experience while whilst I had the time to because there was a lot of dead hours in that time I guess outside of study hours in which I wanted to be effective with it so um, when I went to graduate an opportunity came up with Saracens Rugby um, I had an S&C internship I'd done my UK SCA alongside my level three so it was Focusing on strength and conditioning is something I was really interested in. And I, I got I got that internship there. And that was a bit of a baptism into terms of growing rhino skin. And oh, I can imagine. <laughs> boys are relentless. And it wasn't banter at the time. <laughs> but, I, you know, essentially I was a glorified water boy. But that came with its perks. It was a lot of it was data driven, taking GPS data, doing Osmo tests. And they found it immensely funny to pee on the outside of the bottles to check how hydrated they were and all these other things I, I guess I wouldn't have had exposure to outside of that <laughs> but but truthfully it was, I would have loved to keep in that sort of environment but I just couldn't afford to it was a voluntary internship yep. I was getting my travel paid for which was 20 quid a month and working gym hours alongside and of having rent and everything else to pay for up there and uh, my, my wife and I relocated back to Essex where we both come from originally 
we went to buy a house. I had to prove I could pay for the house while I was building the business up from scratch. And I took a job in a school as a school sports coordinator. So we were very much responsible for putting on sport activities for kids, arranging their competitions. And I just built up my PT business from there. I went on to do a postgrad in performance nutrition because I realized I knew sweet F all about nutrition, really, apart from what I'd been exposed to. And yeah, it's I've now, I guess, a health mongrel of sorts that yeah. was concise or any shape or form of the word. So apologies if I've bored your listeners already, but that that's <laughs> okay. me and no, it's, it's, a, it's a good background and I think the, the the direction that I know that we're probably going to take it in or especially like my side is down that little route of like body confidence as well now this was a huge thing that you spoke at spoke spoke at length about at IFS so with yourself like you say going right back to those other days you had the weight stigma you know you went to the doctors they made you jump on the scales like did you have issues yourself or did you struggle with body confidence at a certain like time I think like most kids in their teenage years, you're kind of coming into your body, you're struggling to find your place in the world. Yep. I said all my family from uh, Northern Cyprus. So not maybe overtly different to everyone else, but there wasn't really other, I guess, for want of a better phrase, foreign kids in my school. So it wasn't, it was, wasn't quite fitting into an English culture, but not really accepted within the Turkish culture either, because a lot of my family and stuff that grew up in London, they'd go to Turkish school, they'd speak the language fluently and I didn't. So it's like, I guess I struggle to fit in and becoming hyper aware of your body from other people pointing out. And often they point out things you already know, like, you know, as a chubby teenager, I knew I was chubby, but yeah. you know, pointed oh, I, out. I, I can relate to that one, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> but to be fair, I think, I think all three of us can, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not, not, none of us are a cliche though. None of us, that chubby kid that got into the fitness industry to get rid of that, that version of ourselves. Definitely not. No, 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 of course not. Of course not. Chris, did you want to fire a little question on that? Because I know you've um, had a good look through the Instagram as well. No, to, to be fair, I'm just going to go off. I'm going to, you know, like all the other podcasts that we've done. We just run a tangent. No, I, I have become prepared for this one, but this is this is a tangent just on the back of what Dan said. And I can I can really relate to a lot of your backstory, Dan, in terms of working in an elite sport environment and how it can be quite a... Um, tough place to be in certain times. So pissed on the outside of the bottles. Luckily that never happened to me. I didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. But in terms of the environment itself, one day it can be like really, really push you and you can thrive in it. Other days it can be literally like, I think you said like you really develop the rhino skin and, and sort of, you just try and get through the day. Mm. Um, but m- moving what was your, into- your background? Sorry, Chris, just- So I, I worked in football as a, okay. as a coach and performance analyst. So I did, I did the internships for- for no money, I've, I've worked. To, it's not like they can't afford to pay you, right? Well, you know, you'd like you'd like to think that they had some spare cash somewhere, but like, like, like well, we, we all know where that cash goes, right? The you yeah. know the first team and oh, that's it, the first team. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I can, I can I can appreciate a lot of that a lot of that stuff, and um, I think we've I might have even touched upon in the previous podcast, so I don't want to go over too much old ground, but um, I think that. Actually, looking at the soft skills you mentioned, there's something that I think we have touched upon previously in another pod, Rob, um, and how actually the development of those skills in an environment that is so, um, it can be diverse, it can be fast-paced, because obviously it's, it's forever changing with changeover of coaching staff, changeover of games. Football is probably a bit more of an extreme version than rugby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume. Um, but there's yeah, a change. It's an old boys club. It's very culture-based, isn't it? Yeah, and you've you've got you have got to be really agile. I found um, even even being 
more of an analyst and where you're sort of tucked away in a cupboard and you might not speak to another human being for 24 hours, you've then got to potentially jump into an environment whereby you do have to communicate very clearly, very quickly and be really confident in your delivery. Mm -hmm. And it's the transferability of those skills to now working with general population people. You can have one client or one individual that's totally different from the next and the calls are five minutes apart and you've got to sort of, you know, put, put one sort of mask on to then take that off and put another mask on. And I think that's that's something, again, we've spoke about before, but I can really, don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying I can really yeah. relate to that and, and understand that I, I don't think that that's potentially spoken about enough. And my experience was very much the same as yours in terms of, I don't actually think I understood how much I was learning about myself until probably the last 18 months. Mm. And I was, I was in that industry in different organizations, different clubs, different roles for seven or eight years. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 a, it's a really important point. I think, and I think my point here is that, that people will have their own versions of that mm. in their jobs and in their, you know, they'll go from being a, a non-parent to a parent and all of a sudden there's skills that they're learning that actually are transferable to training in the gym or their own exercise, their own nutrition and, and general health journey. And I think you, you, you said the, the term health seeking behavior. And I think that's a really sort of poignant sort of phrase to use because it doesn't necessarily need to be training every, every day that you possibly can and tracking every single bit of food that you're eating. It's what, what are the health seeking behavior I do? And it could be resting. Yeah. Like, I think that lower level resilience almost as well. That sort of, that what you feel like at the time is you really just stumbling over your feet, finding your way, yeah. falling on your face. And it made me think of a situation. They had a, the first team had an away day and the injured players that stayed behind, it was left, left to me to essentially take them through their, their programs and set that up almost circuit based kind of thing. And uh, they're deliberately, so they'd lock the office well, I turned up thinking that everything I needed was in the office and there was no paper, there was no way to mark it out and I just had to fumble my way through. And that was like a really tough day. I think after that and the flack, they were clearly disgruntled players that wanted to be playing, they couldn't be. So it gave you insight into how other people were experiencing things as well. And there's me that I don't know what I'm doing, how to do it and hashing something together and try and instruct them. But it's that felt like a failure at that point. But in terms of like lower level resilience and preparedness, I, I would never do that again now. <laughs> Because that still, still clearly vividly sticks in my mind. So when you're exposed to different environments, even the hard circumstances, they're things we don't necessarily acknowledge as necessary and essential things that we have to learn at that time. Yeah, it's always, in hindsight, always in hindsight. Yeah. What, what I would say as well, just to take it a little bit to the side on this as well, just going back to like body confidence, because I feel like it's a big message for you, Dan, but what, what is the message that you're putting into the fitness industry from your side? And why is it that you're so passionate about it? I know that's going to link back a little bit to the backstory, but um, what, what is that message? I think the message is, is evolved for me. And it was, it was clearly like aesthetic change and confidence through changing your outer shell, I think, initially yep. when I first got into the industry. And what I've become more aware of is the societal impact of some of the goals that we pursue sometimes. So a lot of the work I feel I do with clients now, especially is, is more towards what I, I would describe as self-leadership. It's actually tapping into self. And I think even when we talk about self-care, sometimes it's described as 
take care of yourself so you can take care of others but actually what i want people to tap into is why your motivations there what do you actually want and actually what's wrong with just taking care of you for you you're worthy of care like everyone else so a message that i'm always trying to get out i guess of of consultations the work that i do with people is when they do have aesthetic change and broadly 80 percent of the people i work with do have body composition goals it's are these societally driven or they intrinsically motivated from you is this an act that is empowering you or is it imprisoning you so i think it's it's cultivating a sense of self and these inner what i refer to as inner resources in people and that is not based on the external external validation and on a deeper level is even when we frame what success means some people that's monetary value some people that's time with their kids time with their families it's really get into the nitty gritty of like, what are your values? What is success to you? What does body confidence mean to you? And working more collaboratively with them to get the best out of themselves through self-awareness. Yeah. And so, so you're, you're out of that, you're going through, I guess, similar vibe to like how we do things, which is it's about a physical, but also a mental transformation. Like that you're, you're really trying to, you know, the, the external's happening, that's fine, but you're making sure that the external is happening as a result of them working internally on themselves and actually getting to know who they actually are. So yeah, effectively now it's like, well, effectively it's personal development in a lot of ways, right? It is, although I'd never use those words because I think they've been um, bastardized. <laughs> Why? Why? No, I'm with you. No, no, I think like generally, like when you talk about life coaching and things like that, there's, yeah. there's an air of hesitancy with people, I think, because there are, certain people capitalizing in the industry on people when they're vulnerable and I understand things detract slightly is that when we talk about pain points from a marketing perspective well I I don't want to exploit people's pain points like on a humanistic level I don't want to leverage their pain and discomfort in order to coerce them to work with me what I want to do is actually realize they're capable of much more and when we think about mindset, I think sometimes it's in an elitist sense. It's getting up at 4 a.m. It's sacrificing this, that, and the other. When actually it's it's the neuroplasticity. We all have the ability to change over time how we think about ourselves. And I know you guys will know this, is that sometimes when people change their bodies, they get close to what they would see as a, a more body ideal. But things like their body image and their confidence about themselves doesn't improve, it worsens. So external, externally, irrespective of what anyone else can tell them, even though they are bank on external validation a lot of times, they don't see that change in themselves because their mind about themselves, the way they think about themselves. Do you know what fascinates me on, on that? I'm literally sitting here smiling, you know, agreeing with that 100%. Um, you probably read it, but the book Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz speaks about that and the fascinating story of he was a plastic surgeon and he went down the route of, Uh, basically when people had the surgery on say the body part that they didn't like and it was changed and then how they were still psychologically unhappy and that's what basically what you're saying there is you know even though their body composition has changed they're still not happy and it's like well what's going on like you say internally psychologically and to be honest it was that book that took me down the route of going I don't just want a body transformation with a client like I actually want to make sure that I transform their life, which means that I've got to delve into their internal, their mindset, their psychology, all of that. And it's, I think this is actually a tricky thing, isn't it, Chris, for us is it's getting that message out there that look like, yeah, we'll transform your physique, but trust me, that's not going to make you happy because if you're not happy now, you won't be happy when you've just changed your body shape. Like that's all external. But if you can work on the internal and you can trust us like that, we can change that psychology, effectively rewire you in a way. And then you can realize, okay, now I can start to, you know, make strides forwards. 
Mm. And that's the hard sell. And, and in all honesty, at times, especially when I, I guess, I predominantly worked in aesthetics. I used to work with physique competitors. I used to do predominantly photo shoot challenges. Yep. When I stopped doing that and I drew a line in the sand, like business was harder. Like I'll be fully transparent with that because yeah. you've gone from communicating a certain message and no matter how much nuance you try and communicate within the captions about, you know, this person did change their body, but also how they thought about themselves. They had more time with their family. They weren't procrastinating about exercise sessions that they needed to. They weren't worrying about food on menus and things like that. People don't pay attention to that. They see the, the two images and that's it. That's all people yep. see. So I had to make, from my perspective, and this is no judgment on anyone else and how they choose to do things, is I just decided just not to use aesthetics to communicate that message. So yep. sometimes my emails, my written content, it, it does consist of what I would consider from a coaching perspective and true coaching is asking more questions of, of people, the right questions, questions of themselves. It's not always about providing answers. Completely. Well, to, to be honest, I completely agree on that. I don't know if you do as well, Chris, but in terms of, like you say, from a coaching perspective, coaches for me are there to guide people. Like we don't just, if you're just handing over all the answers, like you're not a coach, like you're, you're basically a dictator. <laughs> Dan, here's your answer. Go do this. Dan, here's your, go do this. Whereas if you question and probe, for me, it helps the understanding and the learning of the individual to help get them a better result, but actually a sustainable result. And we know that, right? If you've been in that transformation space as well in the past, you can literally go, go do this, 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 and there's your result, happy days. And then what do we see happens to that individual? Because there's been no learning process. They've not been asked any questions. They've not had to think for themselves. They then fall back on their result and end up in worse shape. And that's yeah. where you get that, you know, that, that, that yo-yo effect, which I know is something that we've spoken, you know, about previously. It's a sense of a diet, a lot of those things I find with people. It's, it's clear, prescriptive. It's explicit start day, end day. It is just, you know, yeah. essentially it's... All, all the diets that we're all guilty of slagging <clears throat> the fitness industry is another one of those just rolled in glitter. But we, we yep. market, it, market it with visuals alone. It's, it's all, it's all fa fancy names, isn't it? Like you say, it's you know, the fancy of the marketing. And I like what you said as well about like the questions as well that go out in your emails. Because something that I took away from um, the performance coach was the quality of your life is the quality of the questions that you ask. So ask better questions, get better answers, get better results simple as and that's one thing that i definitely try and pull out of individuals is look like ask me a better question like you know that question is shit <laughs> like give me something else like that that's poor think about the context what outcome are you trying to get by asking me this and then they start to think and that's where you start probing a little bit deeper and actually ingraining into someone's more subconscious so that they have a greater understanding of i understand what he's asking here and then suddenly you get that that mindset shift of going ah then it sinks in. And then obviously that individual, you start to see that greatest little period of change. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's just more long, longevity in, in that. So it's, it's that sort of problem setting as opposed to problem solving piece. But the, the, the I guess the, the challenge is that you've, you've got social media platforms and Instagram where people want the answers. They're not bothered yeah. about the, the, the question. They want the answer. They want you to solve everything for them. So you've almost got to try and probe them and get them, to sort of buy into the whole story, but by almost giving them a bit of an answer, a bit of a flavor. And then when they're in the coaching space with you, that's where you have to try and use those soft skills to set the problems as opposed to solving it for them. And, you, and you'll probably both know this, that the more successful clients that we've had go through a journey are the ones that go deeper on things that, that really do 
solve the problems for themselves and that can take you know, however long it needs to take um the, the people that come in for a quick fix that aren't bothered about solving it themselves just want you to do it for them or the people that will probably go out come back in go out come back in go out come back in and the penny will drop at some point because they've revisited the process enough times to kind of gauge it um and, and that's where you have those different masks as a coach to kind of then i guess dig into that that a little bit more but i think that's it's so and that's not easy i think that that's another one pulling off on a bit here the, the challenge of of coaching especially i guess in the online space is trying to almost dig into those different people and trying to communicate in different ways that you might not get the same effect that you would do sort of face-to-face or in a, an elite coaching environment that you've kind of got those multiple touch points face-to-face and you can drip feed things in um and I don't think people understand that online coaching is actually quite fucking hard. Yeah, I, I think you've got, uh, sometimes I could be more touch points, yeah. but I think from the, the coaching process, and my thoughts of this have changed over the years is I think initially when we we get into the industry, we, I mean, I've used the phrase before, I'm sure many of the listeners have you, you heard the phrase is, how many times have you said, I want someone to be coachable? Mm. But by using yeah. the phrase, what I'm actually saying is I want someone to be compliant. Yeah. Well, we know compliance breeds adherence for a short period of time, might get the de- desired short-term result for that individual. But essentially, if we're looking longer term and we're cultivating a, a sense of self with that individual, it's confidence spread out of competence, which leads to autonomy. You know, they are adults with agency. And at some point, they have to spread their wings. They have to fly. They have to navigate certain life challenges. They have to find the answers for themselves. And Truthfully, I don't think many people recognize that in themselves. So a lot of the people that come to me now may be like the repeat dieters. They've done a few body transformations. They've realized that nothing's really stuck. And it's only from, and I say always to say this, but the the ironic thing about developing self-awareness in someone is they almost need a little sense of self-awareness to work on their self-awareness. If that doesn't sound too abstract. I get that. They need a vested interest in it. You need to be be a little bit self-aware to actually realize you need to to work on your self-awareness because you know we do have a massive Dunning-Kruger swing in the fitness industry in which we can mistake I think comp- uh, confidence for competence sometimes sometimes people speak with such authority that everything they say must be true prime example Donald Trump for example <laughs> and then you know on, on the flip side of that is actually you know we need to develop some curiosity in people and that there's a humility attached to realizing you don't know it all I'm certainly not the the finished article. I'm a work in progress, as is everyone else. And, you know, I I think that keeps us all grounded as well. We're all learning from each other. Yeah, I think the ability, like, is the ability to hold your hands up and say, look, I don't know everything. Uh, I mean, it's something that's been bred into me, especially the last, like, four years or so. And people find it, like, fascinating still. Like, it's like, what do you mean you don't know? Well, how do I know? Like, you're supposed to be a fitness professional. It's like, I'm a fitness professional, but I know what I know. But if I need to go outside of my circle to someone who specializes in the sector, then I'd rather bring them in than me speak about it on a level where I'm maybe not comfortable. Like, like at the end of the day, as coaches, we know what we know, right? So the moment you go outside of that comfort zone, people can see it straight away. <laughs> like when you speak with confidence, you just, it just ravel, you know, ravels off the tongue, happy days, like off you go. When you speak about something you're not sure about, it's a little bit more, hmm, uh, <laughs> I yeah. think that's, a, that's like the primitive limbic reptilian part of our brain is we've we've all got a pretty good bullshit detector for that kind of stuff. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, although our industry is relatively young, I think this is the best time it's ever you know to get into it, and it's the best it's ever been because it is such a diverse group of 
individuals that our experience have different backgrounds so i know within my echo chamber and peer groups is if i don't know something i'm more than happy to signpost someone that can definitely help them you yep. know if, like if someone comes to me with a suspected injury is you know i've worked with enough people that i could probably speculate likely not get it right but hey i know this physio that is great and they can definitely help you you know someone that is working with eating disorders i don't think i'm the right help for you but this person will and i think that ends up being reciprocated somewhat because we all know each other people just remember the quality advice they were given even if it wasn't necessarily that individual you worked with they cared enough to make sure you got the right help and i think that's that's a great thing about the up and coming side of the fitness industry but it's also a downside of those people that aren't quite at that level yet that are scared to outsource and try and handle everything it's like look like you need to get like, I can't help you with this. You need to go to so-and-so. They're scared to do that because it means that they're going to earn less less money. But if they look at the bigger picture, those coaches, if they focused on what they knew, they would actually tend, they would earn more money rather than spending time with individuals who they can't help. Mm-hmm. You know, if they could just outsource them and help that individual, that individual then gives them more of a referral. And, you know, and you know how that cycle goes. But I think this is like a great little chance to ask you then. So, in terms of the fitness industry, what do you what do you love about it most right now? Like what's like the thing that you look at and you go, do you know what this is? This is what I'm, you know, happy with if you like in the industry. Well, part of part of what I said there, I think the fact that there is such a diverse range of coaches and different voices as well. Because if I go back to when I first started in the fitness industry, it was only really Poliquin and Czech. They were the uh, only yeah. voices really. So kind of what they said went, you know, which is why I think many people went through. Biosig, they went through paleo, they went through all of that kind of thinking to begin with. And even past that, you know, you look at most people that have huge followings now, a lot of those built their followings based on their physique. But we're now at a point where it doesn't rely on how someone looks. It doesn't rely on what qualifications yeah. they've got. Is we've got so many people from different backgrounds that have cultivated such different experiences. And actually, what I really enjoy is that. I like now being able to hold my hands up and go, this is my opinion. Anecdotally, this is what I found. Academically, this is what I've learned. Someone else might do that totally different. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And I think it's the perfect time for coaches to kind of, instead of a lot of, we see a lot of infighting. It's almost like those stones being thrown from either side is if you're a new coach in the industry, you can just collect those stones in between, like cultivate your own way of working with people, learn a little bit of something from all the infighting. But um, I do think it's a great time to learn from different people. Yeah, especially now, like, I mean, we're in the information age, aren't we? There's information everywhere, you know, which is actually a question, you know, that I was I was posed with the other day, which is, um, what is it, you know, I, I know everything or something was what they said. So what is it that you can do that can help me? Um, I referenced straight back to Tim Grover, who worked with, you know, like, um, you know, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and all them. And I referenced straight back to that. I said, do you think those guys know everything? I said, my job as a coach is not to give you all the answers, but like what we said earlier, I said, my job is to guide you and to get that extra little 1% out of you to take you to a level that you basically didn't, didn't think was possible to a level that you were like, right, I'm already at the top of my game. I've got this. And I could tell that the individual just sat back and was like, wow. Okay. Fair enough. You know, and that's a, a thing that I've always had in my head is if professional athletes and sports people have coaches, there's a reason why because we can accelerate individuals progress, you know, with the accountability and stuff. It's not necessarily that all these individuals like that. They know everything. What, what an individual to me means when they say that they know everything is that they, they know the ins and outs, they know the basics, but they don't know the intricacies until they actually get going. And then they suddenly go, wow, 
Like I've been taught an absolute ton from this. Mm. So in terms of that, what would you change then in the industry? If you could change, if you could change one thing about it, what would you change? Boy, you haven't put me on the spot much there, have you? I like it. <laughs> Pressure. I don't think like there's there's an issue of regulation and sometimes like it's come up in conversation. Do you think the industry needs to be regulated more? And I think the bigger question is who would bloody regulate it? Who is trustworthy enough? You know, we all had reps at one point. I don't even know whether reps exist, but many of those, many of those organizations kind of expose themselves as to being perhaps not the best to be withholding all that power. I think like just a bit more transparency is what I would love to see, you know, especially I think, in the market of when, when we use our bodies to market certain products and services, more transparency. So I mean that from a, what I see a lot of people get lost in is this promotion of essentially what is a product is very much cookie cutter. It's very much generic. You know, it might be a mass group coaching package, which is absolutely fine. I have no problem with products, but just don't sell that as a, as a coaching service. That's not a service. Yeah. yeah. So from a transparency standpoint, we see, certain bodies glorified and you know we're part of the problem we're all enablers in, in to a certain degree here but like chris hemsworth as in the latest store stacked sells a fitness app maybe not as transparent about everything that's involved with attaining that physique which yep. again people do as they please but if you're using your body to promote a certain product that suggests if you invest in this this is exactly what you're going to look like there needs to be some transparency there yeah. Said, I think there's too much transparency with some things, especially on on that side of things. I think when we're talking about dosages, training day, what I eat in a day, all these type of things, I think that is really unhelpful to people as well. So that's something I'd like yeah. to to rid rid us of. A couple of things, a few things. There are many things in there. Anything else? <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> I like it. Was on the spot. There you go. You asked me. You set me off on a rant. That wasn't. Oh. That was, well, they say it makes a change. People are used to hearing Chris Grant on this podcast. Yeah, so I was using my bike, so you can have it. You can have it done. <laughs> to, get, to get your rant, we're happy with Rent that. Rant for today. <laughs> Brilliant. Chris, any, any questions from you? Yeah, no, I've got, I've got a few, actually, that I just um, had a little little look at sort of your Instagram earlier. And I think that one thing... It wasn't my, my, my Bayer 2013 bikini pics, was it? Unfortunately not. <laughs> I was going to say that's the end, but now you've brought it up. Uh, no, it was... It's something that I found really interesting. It's one of your recent posts about sort of journaling in terms of sort of body functionality. And it's it was a bit of a, not a light bulb moment, but I was a bit like, oh, this is probably something that we, Rob and I have definitely spoke about journaling and the power of it as opposed to um, actually actioning it ourselves. I know, I know I'm, I'm definitely don't journal a huge amount, but something that I have done previously that really, was actually a huge catalyst for me moving into the fitness space was spending time writing down how I was feeling, my emotions in certain environments, in certain situations, what it meant for me, what I valued, all this kind of stuff. And it was a huge sort of moment in my life that really did change my appreciation, my gratitude for where I was physically, where I was mentally, my professional experience and really helped me map where I wanted to go and what that looked like. Um, so it was just more, I guess, to quiz you a little bit on how you go about trying to, I know you, you mentioned in one of your videos about how you probably have to go after the people that are more open to journaling as opposed to people that are a bit closed off to it, but just how you would go about trying to implement sort of a journaling aspect 
with an individual who's who's come to you who wanted to change let, let's say they've come to you regarding their body confidence body image but aren't too savvy on the whole journaling front mm. i think it's, it's quite interesting you know you speak to the broadest part of the population that they're more than happy to meticulously track every morsel of food that enters their mouth on my fitness pal but to get them to like formalize their thoughts, sit down for a couple of minutes and write those down is baffling. It's mind blowing to them. So I always try to describe it and it's normally, you know, I don't force it upon anyone. It may be just a general conversation, chit chat like this. It might be just that by the messaging function on the software that I use, I just send them a couple of questions for them to answer in their own time, because there is an, a natural guardedness. I come to, I find sometimes when people ask themselves quite uncomfortable questions, so for, quite, for, for an example, I'll use an extreme one here is how are you contributing to your own pain? But you leave someone with that, that ends up being something they have to sit on for a little bit, they have to explore. And I don't necessarily need an example of that, but it may be they identify reasons in why we will have this, if it fits your narrative, reasons why they tell themselves they can't do certain things. There's no actual evidence of that but for whatever reason they've told themselves they can't do something. So that might be how they're contributing to their own pain or, you know, they might be in a relationship that isn't working for them or they might be investing in certain exercises or, or programs that aren't helping them. But essentially it's just a chat and I'd always describe it as reading is a great way of like formalizing your thoughts, but the physical act of writing them in your hand, in your words and words that you understand in a way in which no one else is going to see those helps you articulate them. So often when we have these conversations with people and we talk about even I'm, I'm a big mental health advocate, we talk about strength in speaking is that we go on this assumption that these are skills that people have developed. So talking and listening, for example, are skills that unfortunately not everyone has the vocabulary that it takes to formalize your thoughts and put those into words. So other people explain them aren't skills that everyone has. So from a communication standpoint, I think it serves people as well, but essentially it'd just be, planting the seed, so to speak, asking a couple of questions of them, and then that leading into a conversation like journaling. I know it's been given a quite an airy-fairy title, but it's just self-exploration on a certain level, and it may be based on their circumstances that I I give them a couple of starter questions. So um, I'm trying to think of an example I may say is, so many of us fall into patterns of people pleasing for example like you know what are you getting from that experience of pleasing others that you can't get out of yourself something like that just leave them with that yeah. they can sit on that they can explore that and that again that is really what it is to me it's self-exploration it's not when i give people journal prompts it's not necessarily stuff that i need answers for so they can formalize and piece together thoughts for themselves mm -hmm. out of interest on that is so for you is self-exploration one of the places where you will start firsthand with an individual to get them to start to become more self-aware initial consult it's normally just an open conversation and really i think from a listening standpoint which i've mentioned before is we're thinking about passively listening attentively listening and but listening to understand, repeating that process back to them. So our interpretation of what they've said is, is correct. So it may be that I'm listening out for certain words. So when someone's talking to me about, and again, just a random example, they're talking about fat loss, but they're talking about attention they perhaps didn't get as a youngster or, you know, being more attracted to, the, to their desired sexual preference or that kind of thing. It's really what they've said about the attractiveness, the confidence thing It's not really the fat loss. So when we get to the bottom of that conversation, it's, it's instigating, again, further lines of question, open-ended questioning, which is going to give them the opportunity to explore. But then 
uh, interesting, I spoke about this on, on the live that I did before this, is when we talk to people about their personal values is it's only really within the certain echo chambers they talk about values and stuff like that. I think if you talk to many people, they don't know what their personal values are. So is it an active... I was say, yeah. I don't think a lot of people even understand them. Yeah. So, I mean, would it be as part of the consult process and, you know, initially starting them up as well as discussing what days you can train, what equipment you've got access to, the length of time you've got, what means of tracking your nutri nutritional intake we might go down? Um, it might be all those other conversational points as well. Like, what do you think about this? And actually having them play an active role in creating their own plan. Was that, yeah, was, that, was that an abstract? No, that, that, that was really good. No, I, I, I can say I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I had a bit of a follow-up question, but I don't, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question. I don't mean think's got an answer. It was just sort of how, how much success have you had with that? And obviously it's really hard to kind of, because it's something you can't really measure, right? So you yeah, can't. Yeah. It's tangible, exactly. So, yeah. and I, I think that's the, the part of the beauty of it is because it, it, you know, it can, that can lead to, so many different avenues to discover with that that individual that mm. you can't then go well this has been a huge success because that there'll be things that come out of it that are just going to be totally different from one person to the next person to the next person yeah so yeah, yeah. I, can't, I think i've kind of answered the question anyway for you no, it's, it's, no i think it's you, that's a good good point to bring up because when you're talking about the less tangible stuff it's not based on you know girth measurements it's not based on scale weight it's not based on visuals like how do you get how do you market that as well? I think from a business standpoint, and it's really, I think that's bringing it back to the individual that you're working with is what, what do they deem as success? You know, uh, an example that I could use was someone recently, someone I'm working with said, I typed out a couple of, I'm paraphrasing here, but I typed out a couple of emails in which I almost apologized for contacting them. It's something to do with their job, something that's fairly important to them. And what they've done is that they're taken out, they typed out the email and then removed all the apologetic language because they've become more assertive, become more confident in how they communicate with others, that and physical change. But they might not necessarily tell the world on social media about that, on a visual-based platform about changing how they wrote an email about themselves. But to them, that's that's hugely significant. So I think it's a case-by-case -case experience rather than broad success, because there's always successes, there's always wins you'll bring out of people. But in terms of like a percentage or accounting for many people, I think there'd be things that people don't necessarily tell you about as well. You know, if you're working with an individual with their body image and I don't know, they, you know, they've had issues being intimate with a partner with their light, with the lights on. They're not necessarily going to tell me on a check in. Well, we didn't turn the lights off last night. You know, there's, there's things that they might not tell me about. I've, I've, seen, I've seen it on some people's check ins, but I think I, the way that especially us three coach, I can't see us pulling that out of a client. Who knows? Clients, if you're listening, just tell us if you're going to want to be more open, you drop it out there. <laughs> you can imagine, can't you? But awesome. Anything else, Chris, on your side? No, I had a few, I had a few other bits, but it's more, I guess, just we've spoke loads about sort of self-awareness and I think I was going to ask a little bit about work on the internal validation versus external, which we've kind of covered there. Um, but I guess in terms of moving forward for you, Dan, what, what, does that, what does that look like in terms of working in this space and working with clients from a internal validation point as opposed to external what 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 do you see that looking like in terms of the next couple of years 
I mean, for me, my, my main goal at the moment from a coaching perspective is just being as, as vocal about it as possible and as public about that as possible. So fantastic opportunities like you guys have got me onto your podcast to talk about it. Just not necessarily crowbarring it in at any opportunity I can, but I, I think these are things that resonate with people, but you need to almost have a an open, nuanced conversation about it for people to realise things like body image being a perceptual-based thing and something that we all experience on some level not necessarily everyone is aware of that until you start talking about it. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that is something I guess I do work with clients about or I do need to work on myself. So from a, a, a creating content point of view, I guess, is making sure my can be as nuanced as possible. Um, I've got a YouTube in the run-up. I'm going to do a podcast, which I've been promising for ages. And just for me and my message, just trying to reach as many people as possible. Same as I was, I was quite open with you, Rob. The IFS thing for me was... Yeah. I'd been invited as a, as a speaker. That was always on the cards. And they asked me what I wanted to do. There was a, a little bit of a, a breakdown of communication in between. And I'd offered to do a talk. It hadn't definitively been decided what it was. And then Tuesday of the Saturday it started, I was advertised to do the keynote on the Saturday. So Tuesday was my the first time I found out I was giving that talk. And in that moment, and I, you know, I know I'm not going to name them because that sounds bad on them, but a couple of other speakers that had experienced similar with the organization is they just said, no, I can't do that. But for me, I just thought, you know, this is an opportunity. Yeah, I'm not going to get in front of, I'm not going to get many opportunities like this to get in front of this kind of numbers to kind of have free roam on a subject I'm really passionate about and I think is really important to people. So I've just got uh, as difficult as it's going to be. I, my kids on the Wednesday, I traveled on the Thursday and then the Friday in Portugal for two to three hours, I just locked myself in my hotel room and just knocked out this, this talk and, you know, delivered it on the Saturday, but, you know, potentially terrifying at the time, but again, opportunity. And I think it's just for me saying yes to more. Yes. Yeah. To, to wrap it up, Dan, so a lot of this, uh, you know, is around like mindset of individuals. And like we said, like self-awareness for people listening, what's the, what's the greatest thing that you could like tell them or pass on to them to really give them, give them value from this as like a takeaway. What would you advise them to do to help them make a mindset shift? I think from a, a mindset point of view is I think we, we all have these inherent beliefs about ourselves. I think a good place to start with, especially when they're limiting or, you know, they're, they're probably self-sabotaging is where do these come from? And often when people sit down with that as a thought, they can stem that back to somewhere. And I think when you can memorize where that's come from is you can learn to unpick where those thoughts and feelings that they're, they're societally driven a lot of the times, or they're driven by parents, peers. When you kind of realize we're all subjected to this subconscious programming, it's quite empowering to realize you can change some of that especially when you tap into what that means to you as well. Yep. Yeah. We have a phrase, actually, we, we say like peeling back the layers, you know, on the, on, on the onion, literally just, just peel it back one layer at a time to get people really digging deep, but yeah, great. Um, great little answer. So effectively getting them to challenge the limiting beliefs, but looking a little bit deeper as to where they've come from. Mm. Dan, tell, tell us where, or tell, not, not tell us, tell the listeners, uh, where can they, where can they find you, mate? Just share everything so people can, can get in touch with you if they want to as well. Pretty much Dan Osman. There's not many of us. There was once a famous rock climber. We won't go into that story because I think <laughs> was past tense tells that story. Uh, Osman on Instagram is where most of my stuff goes out. I'm on LinkedIn, very infrequently pop on Facebook because I just wasn't a fan of it over the pandemic and I've never gone back. 
and I have a podcast coming out soon, The Ramblings of a Madman, however self-stigmatizing that is. Um, that will be as a YouTube channel as well. So yeah, there, there'll be lots more hopefully in the near future. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for thank you for joining us. Uh, guys, for everyone else that's listened as well, if you've um obviously if you're new to me and Chris as well, you can follow myself at robabbis.rca and at chrismeek.rca on Instagram. Uh, and if you want to download our guide, How to Drop Body Fat Whilst Living a Hectic Life, just drop us a DM across the Instagram channel there. Uh, and please, please share this. Please share this for all three of us uh, across your platforms. Uh, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Yeah, cheers everyone. Yeah, 